0: to the improved photography podcast. Welcome back to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. Today I am joined by a friendly voice on the podcast, Connor Hibbs. What's
1: up, Connor? Oh, not too much. How are you doing, Mr.
0: Jim? I am doing great. Well, uh, Connor, you have uh, just launched a new tutorial on Improved Photography Plus. Uh, That's I am really excited about this one. Uh, it's one that you've been working on for quite a while because it involved shooting in two different countries to put the tutorial together. Uh, and the result was awesome. We, one of the best photos I've ever seen from you. Uh, so I Thank wanted you. to kind of dedicate this whole episode to a little bit of the behind-the-scenes story of uh, of what it is you were shooting, how you got the idea, how it all came together, and uh, and then the resulting photo. Uh, but, but uh, I, I mean, let's jump to the end, for right Right now, tell us tell us what the resulting photo is. What, what did you take?
1: So the resulting image, it's a uh, what I'm calling a stylized composite. It was a a young model here in Colorado that I rented some pretty fancy Renaissance era dress from a, a rental house and dressed her up with um, kind of costume jewelry, looking very royal in front of. Um, these like gothic arches that I I saw in a church that was built in the 1300s when I was visiting Sweden awesome so you you shot uh you shot first
0: the model and then you shot the the cathedral this like castle castle looking uh place in sweden afterward is that right
1: yeah um not the most advisable practice when when making a composite but yeah usually you'd want the background first yeah yeah like it's not like it's impossible to shoot a foreground and then a background um, especially if you have a background in mind but this was an extra challenge because i had a relative idea of backgrounds that I might find when I was in Scandinavia sure. I wasn't too sure so I, I had these locations that I wanted to hunt but I didn't know exactly what shots I was going to be walking away with for a background and of course I ended up needing due to having multiple people working together I needed to shoot the portrait before I left on the trip because it was either that or waiting until like mid-October to get that part, portion of the shoot done which I didn't want to do
0: Okay, so uh, so and this so the model's kind of standing there, turned a little bit to the side, yeah. um, and she's in this Renaissance kind of old-fashioned dress, uh, kind of yeah. like a, a if you know you watch Romeo and Juliet, this is like a Juliet dress. Very um, much so. And and she's just standing behind these two uh, two really tall windows in the background, or three windows, I think, yes, uh, in this castle.
1: The third is kind of blocked by her to a degree.
0: Awesome. So you've posted the photo already. Uh, so if anybody hasn't seen the photo, definitely go check on uh, the Facebook group or Connor's Facebook page and uh, and take a look at the photo. Do you have it posted on your website yet uh, to, as well? Uh,
1: I, I don't yet, but by the time this comes out, I probably will have it up, yes. Okay,
0: cool. So just to make sure everybody can see that so they don't have to listen to a 30-minute show and not even know what we're talking about. Uh, so definitely check out the photo before, before continuing listening. Um, so improve photography. Plus has the full tutorial. You can see how you're shooting everything, how everything gets edited, the whole thing. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to include uh, just the, the backstory of this. So where did the idea come from? Um, I, I mean, what what made you say that this is what I'm going to shoot? Was it the was the trip kind of the the predecessor for this or what
1: it it was honestly it, it was kind of a few different things coming together and then me having this um epiphany moment of oh man i should totally do this like i i had this trip planned for the sake of doing some education to some people out in scandinavia um photography education and so i i already had the trip planned and then i got to thinking you know i should do something more than just teach there like it was kind of going to be a working vacation um but i figured while we're sightseeing and whatnot i should make use of the backgrounds um subsequently or uh, that's not the right word um completely unrelated i had been thinking about the work that i've been doing recently and the fact that while i feel like i'm i'm my, the work that I'm putting out has kind of a cohesive look that I like a lot. Um, I needed other new ways to push myself and to try and do things that were kind of outside my comfort zone or things that I haven't done in a while and see if I could do them better. So I decided to set aside a budget to do something that was kind of stylized like this. Um, originally, it was going to just be kind of a minimal background dark background portrait that I actually have some of those images posted on my Instagram. And so you, you're just going to shoot her with a dark background. Yeah. Just just her with a dark background with a a nice dress, um, just to kind of be somewhat reminiscent of like Renaissance era portraits that were painted. Sure. Uh, I I had an episode not too long ago where I was talking about how I've been nerding out a bit, looking at painters of the mid to late Renaissance period and then um, turn of the century. So I've, I've just been like really inspired by paintings and wanted to kind of replicate that look. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, in the the process of me starting to lay a few of the things out, I realized, oh, man, like if I get a good background, I'm going to be going to some cool palaces and things when I'm in Scandinavia. How about I combine these two shoots together to create one monster project that's going to not just show my pre-production skills, but my abilities as a photographer and my abilities as somebody using Photoshop for post-production stuff. And that's when it really clicked to me that not only is this a cool idea, but something that I'd like to encourage other people to try pushing themselves to do stuff like that, too. Oh, that's awesome. I, that's
0: that's cool. So so let's dive in a little bit to the model shoot first. So how did you find your model?
1: Um, my, my model, I, I did a method that I... I refer to as Instagram chaining. So uh, <laughs> before I actually went to Instagram, I, I went and looked at the books of a few different um, agencies in the area because I like agency represented models. They usually have a lot of experience and know how to move well and just didn't find anybody that had the look I was looking for. So I went have
0: to- you you've uh, had luck with agencies? I have not had great luck working with agencies. Usually when the, I hear somebody's agency represented, I think, oh, that's okay. I'll find somebody else. See, I, I that, just have not had good experiences with that.
1: There, there are actually some tricks that I've found in working with agency represented models without going directly through the agencies themselves. Um if it's a paid gig where I'm going to be making money from the photos, then I would rather go through the agency unless I have a personal connection with the model. But a lot of the models that I found on Instagram just happen to also be represented by agencies and it, in general, a lot of agencies are pretty loose with their their contracts with their models so if models find work on their own um, they're allowed to do that and not pay a portion of that money to an agency. Um, so so agency represented to me just means hey they are good enough they have enough experience that an agency wanted to rep them.
0: Ah, yeah. See, that's what I would like. I, when I, when I've tried this actually several times, uh, before I didn't have the same experience I had, you know, you know, as soon as I talked to them, they said, Oh, you're going to have to go through my agent. Uh, and then the uh, agent is picking through my, through the model release and the contract. And I'm like, I just want
1: to shoot. <laughs> like,
0: I, it just was not good at all. And I thought, Oh, it's okay. I'll just find somebody else.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, I've had a few different kinds of experiences. In general, I, I find that a lot of the girls that are with agencies or guys, um, I shoot with male <laughs> agency represented models as well. Um, but a lot of them that, that have really good portfolios with the agency are the ones that actively are trying to shoot. So I've definitely had some where I've reached out and been like, hey, I'd really love to work with you, and they go, you know, I have to be really picky about who I work with. Let me talk with my agent about it, and I go, uh-huh. hey, that's okay, I'm, I'm fine, I can find somebody else, right? And then at the same time, I've worked with a number of models that are like some of the best models that I've ever seen, and the reason that they're so good is because they just they really don't care that much about your skill level. They just want to shoot. And um, that's one way in which Instagram is extra helpful. So um, I usually don't actually start by searching hashtags or anything on Instagram. Um, I will just go to other photographers in the area in Colorado that I respect and like and I will just see the people that they've worked with and whenever I see somebody that is a model I'll go to that person's page and even if it's not somebody that I necessarily want to work with I'll kind of look through so I kind of go from model to photographer to model to photographer to oh look there's a hair person over here and I kind of just make my way through a chain of who's working with who and who's shooting a lot and that's how I find people and make decisions about okay well this person's actively shooting or this person's actively doing hair four photo shoots so mm-hmm. they're probably going to be really willing to work with me yeah i boy
0: i've i had one really bad experience working with a model <laughs> who uh, who had an agent um and it is terrible the agent came to the to the photo shoot and oh my goodness it was crazy you know we'd be shooting for a few minutes like i'm sorry she's gonna need a little break here in about five minutes i'm like we just started what <laughs> It was about. crazy. She's like, okay, do you have water for her? I, I I, think she, I mean, she can use a water fountain like the rest of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it was just over the top,
1: you know? Yeah. And- uh, and, and like there definitely does seem to be a bit of a difference between an agency that is, you know, multiple agents that manage a large number of models versus um, your your solo agent or manager, the person who's like, well, I have to make sure that they get paid for everything. And I find a lot of the time it ends up being like a, a, a guy or girl that is 16 or 17 and their parent is their manager and yep. she they have to be like super in the mix with everything instead of just being there to say, okay, well, if money is being made, um, we need to make sure that we're getting paid well too. And that's really what an agency is there for. They're there to gather um, talent together in a place that is easy to find them and then make sure that that talent gets paid and of course they take a cut from it. Sure. so, so I, I find a lot more success working with models that don't have a, a single mom, n- not single mom, but singular like mom type figure as their representative, versus somebody that just works for an agency that. Eh, w- a couple of times a year, they'll get a gig from them, and I just happen to find them find them on that agency's books.
0: Okay, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a try again. Maybe I just got unlucky the first few times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so uh,
0: you got your model set up, and then you had somebody come in to do makeup and hair.
1: Yeah, yeah. So one of the th- challenges that I set out for myself in the creation of this course was that I I have people that I know that do hair and makeup, and I have models that I really enjoy working with, and I wanted to specifically put myself in a situation that somebody that doesn't have anybody would be in so i know how to find people but i chose to not work with anybody that i had worked with before so i I worked with an all new model a new hair person and a new makeup artist
0: oh interesting yeah and where'd you rent the rent the dress
1: um, I rented the dress from the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Um, Interesting. I used to live in Oregon and that's a huge deal out there, but it's, you know, two weeks a year, I think, that they have a, a bunch of Shakespeare plays going on. Eh, maybe it's a month. Um, but they, they have really elaborate wardrobe that they've put money into and I had heard from a few different photographers that they had seen people renting from there. Um, if you're familiar with the photographer Chris Knight, he has a new book that he talks about and he talks about wardrobe at a, during a section and he mentions them there too. So after all of those things, I was like, I should look into them because local local places are great, but usually the quality isn't quite as elaborate as this place that's like full on pro- professional Shakespearean productions. Huh, awesome. Yeah.
0: All right. So you got the model in there. I, t- talk about the the lighting. I, the lighting is the interesting part to me because <laughs> you're shooting the model first, and as we yeah. mentioned before, you would definitely normally want to shoot the model second, yeah. uh, because you know it's tough to go into a castle and say, "Oh, I'd like to move this window over there to more match <laughs> the lighting that I did on my model." <laughs> yeah.
1: You, you know, it's it's something that I kind of had a game plan beforehand, and now after the fact, I'm like, "Oh, I wish that I had tried a couple more." setups um, to get even more photos that would have worked in other backgrounds. Um, But I just used a a standard, what's called a three-point lighting setup. So I have two lights behind the subject on either side. um, at Strip banks? Yeah, yeah. I use I like strip boxes. That's like one of my favorite modifiers. So I have those pointed at the model from either side behind her. Um, A good deal behind her. Probably a good five, six feet behind and then angled towards her. And Um, I I did that to be able to create the effect that light might be coming from either direction behind her. And then I lit her from the front both with flat lighting, which is just just directly overhead, and then also lighting that was just a little bit off axis. So the reason that I did this was to create the illusion that light was coming from all directions of her. So no matter Mm -hmm. what the scene looked like, she would fit in a little bit better. And then while I was shooting, I was just kind of adjusting the power output of different lights. So I'd kind of turn one off or turn one really low and then another one high. And it wasn't any particular rhyme or reason because I didn't know what she was going to be fitting in I just wanted to give myself as many potential options that I could have to find ways to fit her in.
0: Ah, yeah, that's that's really a smart way to do it, to have light sources coming from multiple directions so that it'll uh, look more realistic in yeah. uh, in whatever setting you put them in. That uh, really works well, you know, because if you just choose a standard Rembrandt front light, yeah. uh, you know, you better have a room that matches that. Otherwise, it's, <laughs> it's going to obviously seem fake.
1: It, it needs to be perfect. And like, something that I realized more, I was like, you know, I kind of wish that I had shot a bit more of a single front light with no edge lighting at all because that was the one thing I didn't really do. I always had some sort of edge light, even if it was just a little hint. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have worked a little bit better. I had some really nice looking um, outdoor backgrounds and it just, the subject doesn't look quite natural. It's good enough. Um, But now knowing what I know, I wish that I had gone while I was shooting and just shot... (laughs) with just a key light and no side or edge lighting behind her.
0: Okay. Answer me this. In the last episode, I talked a little bit about computational photography uh, yes. on the, you know, iPhone 10, you know, they have the thing that you can switch the lighting after the fact <laughs> uh, and yes. it's, it's cheesy right now. Yeah. Uh, but the potential is obviously really incredible. Uh, when yeah, you yeah. consider the that teams of the best developers in the world are working on, on this, on computational photographer, on yeah. computational photography, so my question is this, you got to come up with a real number, none of this I don't know stuff. In how many years do you think it will be before somebody on this podcast says, you know, I really just shoot with neutral light and I change it after the fact?
1: Ooh, that's rough. I was actually watching the keynote from Apple last night, looking at that iPhone 10 and... <laughs> at least right now, it seems pretty far off. I was not impressed with it at all. It's cool that they're investing in that kind of technology, but man it's a good ways off before it to me it didn't look like the lighting changed at all they just um, brightened up it's a face detection where they can brighten the face and then ooh look the background's darker so I agree it's a good ways off but
0: give me a year Connor what uh, do you think in what year do you think somebody on this podcast
1: is going to say that sentence man I'm hoping that it's something like 2030
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know that's Probably not too, but that's probably not too far off. In fact, I think that was my guess on on that episode is ten to twelve years. Yeah, I, I think it. it yeah, it, it could be there. And like we they, have they, seen some cool things, some demos from Adobe and stuff. But I'm with you. I just, eh, not, not
1: now. But uh, my only thing is like this, they would really need to dramatically increase the dynamic range that can be done with any kind of sensor. Because I mean, right now, if you go outside and shoot with harsh black black shadows, harsh overhead light. um, You're going to get these really dark shadows. And in order to... Correct that quote unquote, you would need to dodge up those shadows to make them even out with the other skin. And to be able to completely compensate for what a what the proper exposure on the skin is and then the darkness of shadows in a high contrast environment, you need some serious dynamic range that I just I think it's a long ways off. That's a good point about dynamic
0: range because it's rare, even with a really good camera, that you see an outdoor portrait. Um, you know, unless we have really good Conditions, You know, yeah. cloudy day or something. It's rare that you see an outdoor portrait where you have the full dynamic range captured in a photo. It yeah. just doesn't happen that often.
1: No, not at all. Um, so I, I think that that's... I mean, if, if they could conquer that, then I think it would become dramatically easier. Because then it just comes down to computationally neutralizing all the shadows on the face. And then... Um, I don't know, a bunch of tech jargon that I don't know how to do.
0: All right. <laughs> that, seems, well, I, that seems like a way to do it. Okay. I just, sorry, I got us on a rat hole, but I just, I, <laughs> I do think that's interesting. And I agree with you. It's many, many years off. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, I, I mean, is it going to come for sure by 2040? I, I would give it 100%. I, yeah. I think 100% by 2040, absolutely that's going to happen. That we just shoot all photos in neutral light, capture the dynamic range, and then do all the lighting in the computer. I totally but, think that's real.
1: What's the fun in that? I know, right? <laughs> I, I, I am with you. you. Like, it's, it's on its way. And I honestly am happy to see um, that there is... A, Talk now about the importance of light. So even though it's from the standpoint of uh, like, look at how good our software can make it look like the person is lit. <laughs> in the keynote they even mentioned like hey if you've ever been with a professional photographer they have some serious lighting gear and that is how they make photos look good And I'm like, good th- that's being put out there instead of just like look it's the iPhone this is perfect it's four every- more megapixels yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright so did you shoot with, with speed lights or with uh, uh, mono light
1: I, I use my mono lights so my key light is my Palsy Buff Einstein and then I have I either use my Alien Bees A B800s or possibly my white lightning 1600s um, for the edge lights but I, I prefer when I'm shooting in studio to use studio strobes just because the the um, refresh time on them is really really rapid I, yeah. can, I can just shoot and shoot and shoot and then in outdoor situations as long as I don't mind lugging the gear with me it's really easy for me to overpower daylight very cool
0: yeah. All right. Well, in the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk more about Connor's shoot and what it was like in Sweden, capturing the background and putting these things together in Photoshop. But before we do that, we want to thank a couple of companies that have make made this episode of the podcast possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenfolio. Whether you're a full-time professional, you're shooting on the side, or you need a photography website to run your business, Zenfolio is there for you. There are lots of options out there, but only one that has been voted the number one choice for for professional photographers. The real thing that I think makes Zenfolio stand out from the competition is the proofing ability that they have. It really is designed for photography. And so if you want to go out and and shoot and then send photos to the, to the clients. Really Zenfolio is a great tool for doing that, for creating those custom albums, allowing people to purchase digital files and download them right there or get them printed, uh, to create art, uh, to have in their home. It really is meant for the the specific needs of photographers. And and it really has uh, great abilities for that. Plus Zenfolio has the marketing tools you need, you know, emails, coupons, bundled products, uh, all that kind of stuff is built into the technology. Uh, They have an intuitive setup process and 24 support, 24 hour support if you need them. And right now you can get 30% off your annual plan with code improve 30 at Zenfolio.com. Build it beautifully with Zenfolio. Websites, proofing, selling. All right. In the first half, you talked about shooting on location, and now we're getting into more of the, the the well, I guess the background part of the yes. on location and then the putting things together. So, so how did you choose what your background was going to be? Did you have a pretty good idea or were you just thinking, I want a castle? Uh,
1: you know, I was thinking – here's the thing. When I originally told my wife that we were going to go to a bunch of castles to find cool backgrounds, she was thinking um, – <laughs> Ireland castles that are just stone boxes that are empty and cool, where what I was really wanting to do was I wanted to find something that was really ornate and elaborate. More of a cathedral kind of luck. Being lived in. So, yeah, I was was looking... and a few different palaces that they have in Copenhagen. Uh, the, the cathedral is actually something that I stumbled on the night before that somebody was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Maybe you should go ch- check it out. And I, I did. And I'm really glad that I did because I have a bunch of gorgeous backgrounds from it, it was this one palace that I went to. I specifically went there because it's uh, the, the the area where the, Co- uh, the Danish royalty greets all of their foreign dignitaries and guests and it's just a a long chain of rooms in this palace that each one is just grander and grander um one after another so i I decided that i wanted to go there because that was going to be where my background was and it ended up being not the place that i used the background from still going to use them for something but um while i was traveling around in sweden we went down to the, the city of malmo or malmo and I'm butchering it because I don't (laughs) speak Swedish. Um, But they they had this one like Renaissance era (laughs) castle that it it, it was more of a fortress that I was really interested in. And we went there and it was just (laughs) sorry to the Malmo house, but it was kind of garbagey. it was a really weird <laughs> museum. Connor, you inside. can't say
0: no offense, but it's kind <laughs> of garbagey. <laughs> like you wouldn't you wouldn't take offense to this. Oh, I know no, you wouldn't, no. but
1: pretty garbagey place, guys. The thing. I, I doubt <laughs> that anyone that works there is listening. <laughs> but man, it was like the exterior was really cool, but uh, I, I was really looking forward to the interior, and they have some nice photos of it. So I was like, oh, it's gonna be cool inside, but. Uh, Like they, they just had like an oscillating fan in the middle of the room that I actually took and moved off to the side of the room to try and get a shot. And it it was just a weird museum. Like we went into one room and it was all about textiles that was made by some lady who... does textiles and then we went into another room that was all about the Roma like the people um, gypsies and then we went into another room and it was like look at this great hall that somebody was in and then we went downstairs and they're like here are farm animals and it was a dungeon and a fortress like okay cool dungeon fortress but every all the exhibits were just uh, not my favorite this is a long way of saying I was really hopeful of getting a good shot in this one castle and it just, it didn't work out. And so I was kind of bummed and we went to lunch and then I remembered, Oh yeah, somebody said that I should go check out that, um, that cathedral. And it just happened to be two blocks away, three blocks away. So we walked and honestly, it, like I think cathedrals are beautiful, but oftentimes the interiors are pretty dark and drab and I wasn't so sure about it, but we walked into this one and it's just all white. It's these all white Gothic arches and, they didn't have any stained glass in any of the windows. It's it's just like a clear, normal glass pane. And that's because this region of Sweden has been fought over by the Danes and the Swedes for centuries. So every time one of them would take it over from the other, uh, the windows would get smashed out. So they eventually just decided, let's just put regular glass in here. So it has tons of great light and it's all white interior. And I, I just found this one little corner that, was it it was three point lighting it was just perfect so there was a window on either side and a window right in between and i i just when i was looking at the shot i realized that was what my background was going to be i had the unfortunate made the, the just the spacing of the cathedral itself i was back against the pews as far as i could go and i couldn't shoot at the exact same angle that i was shooting the model at which if you have ever tried compositing before is kind of an important thing so I knew that I was shooting from eye level slightly downwards on her and as far back as I could go for me to get the tops the gothic arches of these windows in the frame I had to shoot eye level and slightly up so the perspective is actually just a little bit off between the two images but because I placed the subject without having her feet in the frame so I'm not completely placing her in the frame I think that it's a pretty good fake Yeah,
0: it's a totally a good fake. And, you know, it's one that if a photographer looks at it, they'll probably know that it's a composite. Um, not, Not because, you know, anything looks funky or off. But yeah. just it, it's that it's that style. There's kind of a style to composites and how they're commonly done right now. Um, Definitely so. Uh, with uh, with portraits, a non-photographer is going to say, "Wait, what? What's two pictures?" They they won't get it. They, they yeah. but but a photographer can look at most composites and will know, even yeah. if it's done perfectly well. Uh, there's just kind of a style thing to it. So when <laughs> I looked at it, the thing that that really made me stare from an other than just it's a beautiful, gorgeous shot uh, is when you look at the photo of the model it felt like a longer focal length and then I looked at the 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 photo of the background and it felt like a wider focal length um, and I, I, I tried to I, I, I tri- anyway so we had a, a <laughs> we were messaging about this because that's one that I always when I'm doing a composite I always like check exactly, exactly. what focal length yeah. was it that I shot with so tell me your your thought for why you didn't do that and and why it works anyway
1: you know i I think that again if i were working from having a background first and then a foreground i would probably want to match them up i would i would be a lot more careful to make sure that my height and my angle and every way that i was shooting the background was similar to the foreground um that would make it much much easier to sell the image um as as real as not a composite but because i well, because of the order in which I had to shoot things, um, it just ended up being that for me to get all of those gothic arches in the frame, I had to shoot at, uh, I think about 26 millimeters on the wide end of my 24 to 70. And when I was shooting the subject, I think I was around 67 millimeters shooting the subject, for the image that I ended up putting in there. But I, I before I actually made my decision about which image of my subject I was going to put in, I I kind of did a really rough cut out of a bunch of images that I thought would look potentially good. And I picked the one that looked the most natural. So it, it's definitely interesting because if you pay attention and really look at it, you can tell that they're shot at different focal lengths and in an ideal world, I would have shot both of them around the same focal length and the same height and at the same angle, but part of the fun of a composite is that sometimes you can fake something that's not necessarily there. And uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I that's, totally agree
0: with you. And in fact, I love that about composites. Uh, yeah. you know, you can do a bad composite where when somebody just looks at it, it's like, Ooh, something is really wrong here. Um, yeah. but then there's another level of composite where like, you can make it perfect so nobody can tell this is a composite but sometimes I I don't know there's something just uh, kind of feels a little fantasy or I don't know what just has a a certain feel to it when you're doing something where you look at it and you're like I know something's different about this photo but I'd really have to analyze it to tell what and sometimes I just I
1: really like that style (laughs) well and I'd Make the argument that there's something interesting about that because you're like, as long as it looks good as the final product, just because it looks off isn't necessarily a bad thing. And that can actually cause a viewer to look at it longer. And that is ultimately a goal in photography is to have people look at your work and not just pass right over it. Um, so, well... It, if I were trying to place my subject in the frame, she would look completely wonky because she would look like a, a paper cutout that was just not at the right angle and look way flat. Just just from the. The difference of angles and the way that she's standing on the floor, but because I place her in the front of the frame where you can really see her and she's standing out from the background, um, I, th- I think that you lose that and it looks a lot more natural. It doesn't look perfect, but I think it still looks good and interesting. And I think that it does cause the eye to kind of look at it more.
0: Yeah, and if if anybody's listening to this and you're a little bit more, um, um, not not as much of an advanced photographer, I'd really encourage you to check out an article on improved photography called "Best Focal Length for Portraits," Um, and you really have to see this once you've kind of developed your eye for seeing what the human body looks like at different focal lengths. You'll be able to tell. At, at what focal length a photo was shot, even without any other information in the photo. You know, even yeah. if it's just a person on white, you can still tell what kind of focal length it was shot at. Um, and, and as you improve in photography, you'll be able to get pretty close um, yeah. and usually just look at a photo and you can tell about what the focal length is, even if, you know, there's nothing else in the photo to give away sizing and things like that. Um, you can definitely tell different focal lengths um, and just how it compresses features and and how uh, different features on the face look uh, yeah. are at different focal lengths. And I think it's a very, very important skill for a portrait photographer to learn.
1: I, I think so well and understanding why you might want to choose one over the other there is a reason that i was shooting her at a little bit longer of a focal length and that that's because it is a lot more flattering to her especially for the frame that i end up using you know, it's, it's not a tight crop by any means. It's about a three-quarter length portrait, but I was still pretty close. She's she's very much up close to the, the image. And if I had done the same thing with a wide angle to match the background, um, any feature that was closer to the camera would become really warped and look way bigger than anything that was further away. And I, I didn't want to accentuate that. So I, I shot the portraits in a way that would be more flattering for them. And I tried to get a variety of some wide angle stuff some some longer stuff just because again i didn't know what my background would be and it just happened to be that i have a background and a foreground that are on two complete opposite ends of my my lens but yeah yeah, yeah
0: I, I totally. I, I think that's a, a very good point. Anyway, the the photo turned out awesome. Uh, tell us just about Sweden. How was it from a photography point of view, just the trip, etc.?
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think that from a photography point of view, I have a bit of a different perspective than a lot of people that are going to be listening to the show because i don't really shoot landscapes right I'll, I'll do it if it's easy and it's right there in front of me but i, I mean it was absolutely gorgeous both, both denmark and sweden are, are wonderful copenhagen um for a street photographer would be phenomenal it's oh, yeah. just so many interesting corners and nooks and crannies and um uh, they, they actually have these um like electric powered bicycles that you can rent. They're all over the city and you can pedal and use it as a bicycle if you want to, or you can just, um, slowly pedal and not actually push yourself and let the motor move you around. But it was Yeah, that's more me. I'm more of a motor guy. (laughs) You know, I I live in a city that um is pretty spread out. So being in the city where more than 50% of your population bicycles to work and everywhere else. Um I wanted to take part in that, but man, I am not in the shape to do it. So I was glad to have a motor pushing me around. But doing that was awesome because I got to see all of the city in a way that um riding public transit or being in a car you just don't get to do because um, you're not in the world you're in a box that's driving through the world and I I think it would be phenomenal place for anybody that would be interested in doing kind of street photography type stuff or even just cool old locations um could go to to shoot sweden was was gorgeous but the region where i was it's the very southern tip of sweden and it's it's beautiful but it's a lot of farm country as well Mm -hmm. so it's it's not somewhere where you have tons of beautiful features to do like epic landscapes from but still might be a great place to visit in general and is relatively easy to access from copenhagen other areas that are in the area so i mean i think it's a five-hour drive to norway but it's a hundred dollar ticket from copenhagen to oslo so it, it wouldn't be too bad if you want to do a scandinavia tour to start out in copenhagen because there's a lot of areas that it, it's kind of in the middle of very cool.
0: Well, uh, in every episode, we like to share a doodad of the week with you, and mine is a, a little bit specific this week, uh, but it is one that I. It's it's cool. Um, it's called the Koo Woo Lens Warmer. Uh, this Koo Woo is C O O W O O. The Koo Woo Lens Warmer. It's available on Amazon. So I've been having a problem. Uh, I've been shooting time lapses at night. And the problem is, you know, I, I usually kind of set it up and then I'll go to sleep. And the we our family goes camping a lot. So I'll, I'll go into the trailer and go to sleep. You know, I'm not going to stay up all night with it. Uh, and I'll just leave the, the time lapse out there shooting all night. And then I go back to look at my images and there's dew on my lens. And it ruined the time lapse, you know, usually somewhere around midnight or something. The time lapse is dead because, it uh, they got dew on the, on the glass and it's just foggy. And so after this is, this happened, I thought, how in the world do I even solve that problem? Am I going to have to <laughs> stay up all night, uh, with a lens cloth and keep wiping it, uh, make sure no, uh, no dew is going to form on my lens. I had no idea what to do. Um, and I, I can't even remember how I found it, but th- there's a lens warmer you wrap i'd never heard of this you wrap this around your lens it's like a it kind of looks like a you know a blood pressure cuff um it kind of looks like that wraps around the lens and then it's just a usb cord and then you plug it into a you know a usb power supply like if you want to Power up your your cell phone battery uh, yeah. while you're traveling around. You just plug that in, and it just heats up your lens uh, for hours on end, so it won't get dew on the lens. Coolest thing ever, uh, and it totally solved my problem. And I had no idea that that was even a thing.
1: <laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, honestly, my doodad is kind of a. <laughs> branch off of what you were just talking about my doodad is a juice box extreme Um, (laughs) you're gonna
0: recommend a juice box this is the best i love juice boxes connor This, this is my favorite thing in third grade
1: not that kind of juice box it's um, it's a battery that I carry around with me everywhere uh, that's I, I my phone is getting on the old side and the power on it dies on uh, pretty pretty rapidly so I have this giant brick of a battery that I carry around with me that I can charge my phone fully about six times off of but because I have a bunch of other electronic devices, I can actually anything that plugs into a USB, I can run off of this thing comfortably. It also has a, a super bright um, flashlight, an LED flashlight that I kind of use ar- around my backyard sometimes when I'm trying to find my my black dog in the middle of the night when I let her out. <laughs> but it, funny that you mention a battery pack that you bring around. This is not one of your, your cheap little ones that you get at 7-Eleven for $10. I think this thing cost me about $35. But it is... A beast and can power things for a long time. So it's it's a fantastic tool to have around if you need to get a little bit of an extra charge out of any of your USB-powered devices. Very cool. Solid recommendation. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, if uh, anybody would like to check out Connor's new tutorial, it is on Improved Photography Plus right now. Uh, and it's exclusively there. This one will not be available in the Improved Photography store, at least uh, not for a long time. Uh, <laughs> this one is exclusive to... Uh, Uh, improved photography plus. So go check it out there. If you haven't tried your two week free trial of improved photography plus, uh, it's, you can get your two week free trial and we have just an incredible amount of training on there. If you're ready to take your photography game to the next level, that's the place to go. Connor, thanks for being on the show with me.
1: Thank you, Jim.